Today on Podcast by the Bay. Saris Regis wants to build 92 additional housing units there in lieu of the previously approved commercial and retail. Longtime Foster City resident Bob Cushman discussing the new Saris Regis project and the city budget. You know, within a month of purchasing that property, they were before the city asking for this change. I don't think they ever intended to build uh, commercial retail there. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com slash podcast by the bay. And in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. Liberty Realty. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to another podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick with Podcast. And we are here and we're excited. We have a wonderful show today. Uh, we have one of the, uh, a great um, interview with Patrick and Bob Cushman. Um, we we want to showcase, this is kind of the highlight of today's show. Um, we're talking about the Saris Regis project, this big issue, the housing issue, workforce housing, um, low-income housing, um, affordable housing, uh, the housing issue in Foster City in general. And this has really become a forefront uh, over the last you know, four or five years of Foster City with all the development that's happening. So Patrick has been able to actually get access and, and talk directly with Bob Cushman, who's a really proponent. Yeah, no, I was very honored to have uh, met with Bob Cushman for approximately about an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, we've had to cut back our recording a little bit because he did give us a lot of information and Bob um, has a following of approximately 3,300 people on email. So Bob is well known for writing great editorials in the newspaper, whether it's talking about the Saris Regis project, whether it's talking about the chartered school, whether it's talking about affordable housing. Um, Bob was very, very uh, willing to talk um, about the issues facing Foster City in regards to the Saris Regis project. Um, he was also willing to talk about the levy a little bit. Um, and also uh, willing to talk about the distinction of what is considered workforce housing, what is considered affordable housing. Obviously, the buzzword right now with the rezoning of the uh, Saris Regis project from the commercial retail use to the residential use uh, has a lot of uh, nooks and crannies um, in it, and the council has been behind closed doors, so to speak, trying to negotiate something that's fair. As we know, back in the last election, um, uh, most of the candidates on the council were all in support of Penelope, Sandwich Monkey, of keeping it on a commercial use so that that would instill more business to keep the commercial thing going. For the listeners that are not aware of it, commercial has had a struggle in Foster City making it. When we have a downturn with the high-end rents, um, it is difficult for a retailer, a coffee shop, um, a bakery, 
cleaners or whatever it may be, a small business uh, to survive because the rents are so high and we're considered more a commuter town. So what is the city's perspective on their idea behind the Saris Regis project and how they're looking to move forward? I mean, I don't know if you have any insight on potentially why that might be, but I think that that's the question the listeners have because right now we're kind of hearing it from one side. And I think uh, if we can get that information, then I think um, people can really make an, a, a great kind of logical uh, you know, determination on, on where they stand with that. Well, I mean, have you heard anything? I mean, what, what is your, I guess, understanding on kind of where is the city coming from on this uh, well, I, Sarah's I think, Regis project? I think the Sarah's Regis obviously is more interested in doing the housing situation in a little bit of a mixed-use situation. Um, the city's perspective is revenue. Um, obviously, they're going to be able to have more property taxes coming in. Um, I think one of the negotiations between the uh, city and the Sarah's Regis project um, is the development of what they call workforce housing. Um, the workforce housing, basically, the developer would be uh, reimbursed, and then the city would uh, would eventually get the uh, workforce housing. Um, the only kind of loose ends of it, we, we need to make a distinction for the audience out there. Uh, workforce housing, from the perspective of the city talking about it, they're talking about police and fire responders, living in these uh, so-called affordable housing units. So it's not a uh, first-time homebuyer situation or below-market rent. Uh, But basically, the city would have, I guess, the deeds to these properties and be kind of the uh, owner, landlord, or whatever. Uh, And again, it's such a preliminary stage. Um, I think our listeners really need to make it clear that for for the most part, for the last 20 or 30 years, most of the police and fire do not live in the cities. Um, but the buzzwords always sound very positive that they would. And we would really like to see the police and fire live in the city uh, that they were. But the complication, I think, came out with, in an interview with Bob that we have a little bit more complexity. Um, it's not just about this This property happens to be in in Sam, in Foster City. But we must look at the police and fire, or the police, or or the um, fire department. We have merged with Belmont, San Mateo, and Foster City. So if we talk about first responders, um, it would it would seem that somebody that lived in the city of San Mateo or Belmont should be considered for this housing. Um, I still think they need to have a little more transparency or. Uh, our, our uh, public hearings on this. It, it, it seems like that uh, the deal has been done, at, at least interpretation from Bob. Um, and as you know, I have attended most all of the council meetings in regards to this, and it, it appears that they're trying to satisfy somewhat the businesses, your Penelope's, your Sandwich Monkey, or all of the other people that were kind of promised that they would have commercial and retail to help stimulate their business. Wow. Well, that's, I mean, that, that's a good point because I think uh, you brought up a couple of things. One is the fact that, um, you know, who, who's going to be the first responders? I think that's, that's a definitely concern um, of all citizens. Um, if it's the CERT and the people that are actually involved with the community, they might be the only ones. I mean, because if all the firemen and the police are not even living close by, I mean, we're going to be short of supply. Um, but I do think you bring up a wonderful point. And I don't think there's hardly anybody, it's probably 95% of the population of Foster City that is opposed to any new residential growth, any new residential growth. And if we can find a listener that's supportive of it, 
that wants new growth, then maybe we can have them on air and kind of understand what their perspective is. Because I don't know one, I, I don't know one person I've talked to from you know from the Foster City, from the Peninsula that is 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 for new housing. So I I don't understand. I think most of our listeners are probably not going to understand what the perspective is, and 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 they really want to understand how is this beneficial. If it's a financial uh, beneficial, is it willing? Are we willing to sell our future uh, for a financial gain? Uh, but you really uh, the, uh, deal with the overpopulation and really the substantial growth that we can't even deal with now. I mean, I almost feel like our infrastructure and the way that we look at things, we're looking 20 years ago. We're trying to deal with situations that are 20 years ago instead of actually looking to the future, right? We should be looking 40 years ahead. Where do we want to be in Foster City in 40 years from now? And so I think that's kind of the always conflict when, when, you, when you hear about um, these kind of things and, 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 and these situations and, and, and it's trying to understand where people are coming from. So I think uh, we have a lot of information with the Bob interview, Bob Cushman. Um, we, we do appreciate his time and, and, and um, uh, really getting all the information and, and really hearing a perspective of a, a, a citizen who's really engaged in the community and someone who really uh, has a perspective. So I think um, we do want to get to it because there's a lot of information. So uh, any uh, last words, Patrick? No, I, I, I can't say any more. And, and I think the only way that the uh, city is trying to present this, they're kind of camouflaging it behind the first responders and police and fire because those are good buzzwords to say. But the reality is, and as you know, and I've, I've, I've spoke about it before, the police and fire do not live here in, in Foster City. So um, I think, um, Andre, you brought up a good point a while back that we really need to take care of our teachers and maybe somehow... Uh, the teachers should be incorporated in this uh, uh, housing situation too. So, again, you made good perspective on that, and I think you you uh, explained it well to the listeners. We just hope you respond. We want to hear your input. I think uh, these are all great discussion topics. If you have any feedback, you have any ideas, uh, you want to uh, come come talk to us. Uh, please send us an email: podcastbythebay at gmail dot com. And uh, please send us an email and um, get your feedback. I mean, I we, we appreciate all feedback, and we, we we're open to all kind of discussion topics. So uh, without further ado, I think we're going to bring Bob Cushman here. Uh, so it's Patrick uh, featuring uh, Bob Cushman, and this is a great, wonderful interview. So uh, with that, signing off, Podcast by the Bay, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. Uh, it is November 3rd. Uh, 2017. We're honored to be interviewing Bob Cushman, who's lived over in Foster City for over 20 years. To a lot of you listeners out there, Bob has has written a lot of editorials into the newspaper. He's quite an activist. He has quite a few followers. So I'm going to introduce Bob Cushman, and he's going to give you a little background about himself. Thank you, Patrick, for giving me a chance to talk with you on Podcast by the Bay. You work tirelessly for Foster City. And I could not ask for a better informed person to chat with about our city. Well, thanks again, Bob. We greatly appreciate your time. Um, Why don't we start out? I know, Bob, you've been passionate about uh, the Edgewater Shopping Center. And I think that's what you told me helped engage you in the process of being more of an activist with the people. So tell us a little bit about the Edgewater Shopping Center, what happened with the Edgewater Shopping Center, and what's the status now? I'd be glad to. You know, uh, this was September 2014, 
when the Edgewater proposal came up, and this was a proposal to take the Edgewater Shopping Center and turn it into a mixed-use development that would include retail space and approximately 150 townhomes and, and flats. And this was a shock. It was a real wake-up call. Prior to that, I mean, I'm just your average citizen. I, like a lot of us in Foster City, I hadn't paid a whole lot of attention to city politics or, or even civic affairs generally. And I just assumed that uh, everything was humming along just fine and uh, our city council was acting in our, you know, our best interest. But this, this is a real wake-up call. So the neighbors came out of the woodwork over this, as you remember. And uh, one resident wrote up a flyer. Another delivered those flyers at Sea Cloud Park. Um, as I remember, another one set up this online petition that we have, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. Another collected email addresses at the developer's neighborhood meeting and, and some subsequent meetings. So there was a snowball effect led by the residents of Foster City. And when the hearing in October 2014 took place before the city hall, as you remember, it was packed. You couldn't even get into the place. Yeah, I sure do remember that. That was one of the very first council meetings I've ever seen that had so much attendance of overwhelming no more growth. So we shut it down, and it was a watershed moment. Uh, so we started this petition. It's very short. Can I read it to you? Yeah, absolutely, Bob. Go ahead. Uh, it's a very reasonable request, I think, and this is addressed to the city council. Uh, quote, we oppose any additional high-density residential units until all previously approved construction projects are completed and we can evaluate their impact on Foster City's overcrowded schools, traffic congestion, and limited potable water resources. So that's the, uh, that's the petition. And event, the eventual development of Edgewater Shopping Center and other sites continues to lurk in the background. Um, but until that time, you know, as I say, I wasn't involved. I was snoozing like, like a lot of our, uh, our city residents. And I thought business was ta being taken care of, and this was sort of a wake-up call. So that's what got me engaged in it. Now, Bob, you've been uh, talking uh, a lot in the – or writing a lot into the uh, newspaper, uh, into the Islander, as well as to the Daily Journal, I'm assuming, and, uh, sure. about yeah. uh, the problems that we have with uh, the uh, Trident. Um, that's happening right now. Could you kind of talk about that a little bit about what the, or the Ceres Regis project? Sure. Uh, this is the third time that developer Ceres Regis has come back before the city council to get approval to swap out previously approved commercial retail space at Pilgrim Triton Phase C for more lucrative townhomes. And it's basically a bait and switch scheme, best way I can describe it. The master plan was that uh, commercial retail would make um, Pilgrim Triton in part sort of a self-sustained community, at least in part, a self-sustained community. Uh, in other words, people who live there might be able to also work there. People who live there could also shop there. Um, so this, this retail commercial piece was a very important part of what the city endorsed originally as a, a master plan for the area, pulling that piece out really shreds the master plan. So Pilgrim, uh, uh, Saris Regis wants to build 92 additional housing units there in lieu of the previously approved commercial and retail. And of course, the housing's more lucrative. You know, within a month of purchasing that property, they were before the city asking for this change. I don't think they ever intended to build uh, commercial or retail there. 
Um, and as I said, this is the third attempt for, of Ceres Regis to get what it wants. So the last time, Ceres Regis was told to come back to the council with a compromise. And what they're proposing now, getting to the, really to your question, uh, what they're proposing now is really not a compromise when you look at it. I know the mayor's describing it as a compromise, but it is definitely not a compromise. The developer proposes to build more units than before, 92 units versus up to 70. The developer proposes to remove another 58,000 square feet of commercial because they're buying property from phase B and they're going to put townhomes on it. So all of the the uh, com the commercial or, re or retail mm -hmm. that has currently been approved but not yet built is being removed from the proposal. It's all just townhomes. So it's going to be a very, very dense community. There's already 730 units approved out there. This is going to add more to them. So, Bob, if I could interject just so I could yeah. understand the format. Um, are we aware that this, did it go back to the Planning Commission or, or does it need to go back to the Planning Commission? Because actually you brought up a very valid point. We're changing the master plan here. And I would think there'd be different criteria for the Planning Commission and looking at with, with residential units as opposed to the commercial and retail. Well, as I say, this is the third time this has come before the city. And the first two times it had to go through the gatekeeper process, which is a preliminary review, I think is what the, the planning department calls it. Uh, and this is before the council. And then it moves on to the planning commission. This time the council uh, had, a, had an appearance from Saris Regis. And they, of course, they had this term sheet that, that uh, we can all take a look at. Um, all this stuff was worked out in closed doors, but by the way, in closed session behind closed doors. Uh, so we had, I think the, the plan and the staff report was published on a Thursday. And then the following meeting was the city council. And this thing was sort of sprung on everybody, you know, at that time. So the, the question would be, why would the city support this, this third Saris Regis proposal, even though it's much worse than the previous submittals? And, and not a compromise. And I think the answer is that Saris Regis has offered the city a deal. Saris Regis wants to, quote, partner, end quote, with the city to build 22 housing units for city employees. The city, the city will share costs with the developer. We're talking about millions of dollars of our taxpayers' money here. And then the developer will deed back the 22 units to the city. So the details of this complex financial arrangement are yet to be revealed. So has this really uh, gone before a real public hearing yet? No. So it's just been it was thought. announced. It was announced uh, at the meeting of the city council on the second of October. There is a staff report on it, and there is a term sheet. So that, in that sense, it's been made public. But all of these details were worked out in closed session uh, behind closed doors. Okay, you know, Bob, you brought up, I know, in, in some of your editorials, um, why don't you make, for the audience, make a distinction between workforce housing and, and affordable housing? Because there is a distinction here. Oh, uh, yeah, good, uh, good point. Uh, Saris Regis, as part of this, quote, deal, is being taken off the hook to provide 20% affordable housing. Now, every developer in the city, so far, has been required to do that. So why does... You know, how does Saris Regis get away from this? Well, it's in return for building, quote, workforce housing, which people are assuming is going to be affordable. It's not, it's not going to be affordable housing. It probably will be below market housing. 
But the people that the city wants to house there, the first responders and city employees, all make too much money to qualify for affordable housing. Affordable housing has monthly ceilings, you know, uh, limits on, on how much you can make. Now, so the city can't set their own standard. They have to follow the formula of what the uh, county does on the affordable housing. Uh, because I think we have a distinction here because uh, the county provides the criteria for affordable housing. Correct. Okay. With workforce housing, is there a different formula or or or, or how does that work or do well, we know? The, the, you have to talk to Curtis Banks on this, but my understanding is that the city can uh, require from a developer that they put in 10%, 15%, 20% affordable housing or no affordable housing. It's totally up to the city. So... In this case, they're taking Cyrus Regis, you know, they're relieving them of that responsibility. Which, and again, I'm not into construction, but it's very interesting to me. It, it seems to me that the affordable housing units would probably be the ones that they wouldn't make any profit on. And they'd have to sink money into marketing them and selling them. Now, if they can offload it to the city for workforce housing, it's a great benefit to Cyrus Regis. So, does it sound like the city's actually going to? own these workforce housing yes. and, be, and be the ownership or the landlord or the... Cyrus Regis is saying, we're going to give you, we're going to deed you the workforce housing. But the city's going to put in millions of dollars to partner with them to build them in the first place. Wow. What are the pitfalls to you that you I, see? I don't know enough of the uh, of the financing, the, the financing uh, uh, plans. They haven't been revealed yet. I think when, when this comes out, people are going to understand it better. Wow, do you, maybe they, they should have had a uh, public hearing on it, it sounds like, uh, to begin with. Well, I, I think this should have gone through the gatekeeper process, yes. Um, you know, the, the, the council referred this immediately to the, the planning commission for you know, further review. And the, planning, uh, the members of the planning commission you know, are, are likely to sort of just rubber stamp whatever they feel the council wants. And if you look at the video of the uh, council meeting of, of the 2nd of October, it's very clear that every council person there, every member there, sort of supported this idea. And, and by the way, three of those council members in their uh, election pledges pledged no more housing. So they've broken those pledges. Wow. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, it, it's a sad situation there because I don't think they're, they're following through on their promises and their promises to the voters. It's pretty clear. Yeah. And, and uh, our organization, Foster City Residents for Responsible Development, is about to put out an uh, update to our 3,300 mailing list that basically says these three... Uh, city council members have broken their pledge to us. Now, uh, Bob, at that meeting, if, if I recall, uh, uh, the majority of those council people also said that they would support the business or help the businessmen that they would not lose business. Or they, how, how does the city council, in your opinion, going to approach this? I know uh, some of the owners of Penelope's were in the audience right, and yeah. they were listening closely and um, I'm not sure what does this, what's your interpretation of what the city will do or might do to help those businesses? Well, again, to, to sort of set the stage here for, for the listeners, uh, the people who have already invested in Pilgrim Triton uh, to set up retail businesses like Penelope or the Sandwich Monkey uh, thought there would be commercial there and retail that would bring them more business. 
Now, if this goes through, of course, that's not going to happen. There'll just be housing there. So they feel they're going to be hurt. They feel that uh, what was promised to them is not may not happen. And there's been several businesses. Uh, I remember one uh, one lady addressed the uh, council previously and said she was thinking of putting in a Japanese restaurant there. And she was just kept holding off because she couldn't get the council to go one way or the other on uh, whether the commercial was going to be in there. I think she finally pulled up stakes and left. So uh, what the council said, my, and I... You know, if you look at the tape of the of the of the session, you can make up your own mind. But the what the council said to me was, uh, Sarah Regis, you get together with these uh, retail establishments and work this out. We don't want to be involved in this. You've got to make them whole in some way. Yes, I mean, and, and I guess at this point we don't really know if they breached out to it. I I talked with a few of the people, the owners of the businesses, and they have made no comment on that, and they're waiting to hear right. something from somebody. Right. Uh, I think they feel betrayed. Now, of course, as we look at it now, there's a lot of people living in the Pilgrim Triton neighborhood. Right. So now, they, they ought to be consulted as well. I wonder what they'd like to see happen there. Well, you know, the other thing that was brought up to me and somebody was saying that the traffic mitigation might be a problem with the new housing. Might uh, be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're right, Bob. And, and I think it's even more so than the commercial. Wouldn't you think so? Uh. Yeah, because the if think about it, if it's all housing, everybody leaves at the same time in the morning. They all come try to come back at the same time at night. If there's commercial or retail in there, that's kind of spread out during the day. If there's no uh, retail there, everybody has to go somewhere else to shop. So yeah, it makes uh, it makes a bad situation. But it was bad to start with. I mean, when 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 parts of Pilgrim Triton were approved by. Uh, the planning commission uh, by, uh, by the city council on recommendation of the planning commission uh, the eirs already said we've got terrible traffic problems there and we know that we're going to make them even worse and they filed what is called a uh, statement of overriding considerations which is a neat way to get around an eir Bob, before we sign off, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the budget. So, so let's 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 go into that budget, All and you right. tell me what you think's going on and what the city should be looking in the future. Well, Foster City is in great shape financially. I think all the all the signs are there, and everybody agrees to that. In January, our director of finance put out a twenty-five year projection that was very real rosy. It wasn't a year in which our expenditures were going to exceed our revenue. Everything looked terrific. And we're in the midst of an unprecedented economic boom. Uh, so by written policy, our reserves are to be from between one-third and one-half of our budget. And the reserves, of course, are to be used for emergencies or if there's an economic downturn. You want to have a little bit of a, you know, a, little bit of a cushion. It's like a savings account that you or I would have. Well, now our reserves are well in excess of that, and it's become sort of an embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new financials that are out and will be looked at by the uh, city council at their next meeting, the uh, 6th of November, um, say that in July 1st, which is the start of our fiscal year, we had $22.75 million over and above this 50% limit. So the city has gradually built up this enormous slush fund. And that's a problem for us as Taxpayers, when politicians have a big slush fund sitting there, they can't 
they're going to want to spend it on various things like workforce housing, like the rec center, like you, you can go on and on and on. Now, if the public was allowed to, to vote on those and they have to get a two-thirds vote to pass, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But to do it via this slush fund maneuver uh, concerns me a little bit. Let's take a look at the levy bond, for example. That's, right now, it's a $90 million estimate. If they uh, applied the excess reserves that the city has, the $22.75 million, it would drop the cost of the levy bond by 25%. That means all of us property taxpayers would be would, would have a, a addition to our property tax that's 25% less than what the $90 million bond would call for. So this is one way to kind of return that money to the, uh, to the, to the taxpayers. Bob, do you think maybe the city's uh, holding back that money from using it or probably trying to use it for retirement? As we know, all the... Cities are kind of in dire straits with their uh, retirement um, thing, and uh, do you can they use that money for the retirement if they so fit? Yeah, sure they could. Okay, but they're not they're not holding it back for that reason. They have no intention to begin winnowing down the the pension liability, and the reason is that every city and county in California is in the same spot, and it's either the, the retirement thing is going to have to be bailed out in some way, uh, and any any city who puts money into it now is probably going to come up at the short end of the stick when they finally settle all this. What was the, there was a comment in the Daily Journal, I don't know whether that came from council or the city manager, talking about a structural deficit. Do you, do you, do you remember that? Can you kind of enlighten the people here what they were trying to express? Well, uh, I, I do. Uh, now, our, our current fiscal year budget shows a, uh, a deficit. To me, it's not a structural deficit because a structural deficit is something that, uh, like the pension liability, it's something you really haven't got control over. When you create your own deficit, it's certainly not a structural deficit. The deficit we have now, two million of it, it's I think it's a little bit, it's less than three million, two and a half million deficit that the city is facing this year, um, which is all self-created. Two million of it's been created by. Uh, one-time expense for a home loan program to city employees, which is going to benefit 10 employees. I mean, it's totally inefficient, and it was totally discretionary. The, the, the city didn't have to do this. So I don't think it's necessarily a structural deficit, but it is a deficit. Now, let's take a look at what happened. The most recent financials say that we had $5 million left over when the books were closed last year. So we had a $5 million that could be rolled over to this year. That totally wipes out our deficit, whether you call it a structural deficit or a regular deficit or whatever. So now our uh, excess reserves are you know, have been jacked up to you know over twenty two over twenty two million. So th- these deficits have been deliberately created, and at the same time, the city just recently had a meeting. Remember on raising revenue, and they're proposing a hotel tax, and they're proposing a new sales tax. They need to raise more revenue. It just doesn't make sense to me when we're in this kind of an economic boom. I think there's many cities that would gladly trade places with us. So I, here again, I think we need some people in Foster City who are well-versed in finances, and we have lots of them, you know, CFOs of companies, to take kind of an independent look at our budgeting process and what our budget looks like. And I, I know that the cities hire one agency or 
a couple agencies for the accountability of looking at the books and these they do are, an audit. Yeah, your audits. Uh, and generally, and we speaking, have an audit committee, a right. citizens audit committee. Yeah. Where are they? Where are they? They advise the council, but they don't say a thing to the public. Right. So well, there's something missing here in terms of protecting us. Okay, Bob, before we sign off, uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience on Podcast by the Bay? Why don't you give them your email address if you'd like? Well, it's uh, our alternate, all one word, O-U-R-A-L-T-E-R-N-A-T-E at AOL.com. I'm glad to communicate with people. And the thing I'd like to say is to thank you, Pat, because you're, you go to all these meetings, you put a tremendous amount of effort in all this stuff. Uh, you're probably one of the most well-informed people in Foster City, and, and you know I tip my hat to you. Well, again, we appreciate Bob. Thank you for um, letting us interview on podcast by the way. Thank you for listening to another Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com slash podcast by the bay. And in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. Liberty Realty. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.